Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Let's Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. I hope you're doing well and staying safe. My guest on this edition is Carolyn Savini. She is a partner and head of North America for Nolan Partners. They are an executive search firm specializing in hiring in sports and entertainment. She's also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. Interesting conversation with her. What does the hiring and employment landscape look like now, post-COVID? Also, is this an opportunity for many sports organizations to reshape how they do business and be more efficient and innovative going forward? We're going to talk to Carolyn Savini on our show today. Before we get started, I have to say a few words about the past week and what's going on in our world. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say a lot, but I need to say these things. Uh, first, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a parent. I'm always thinking about like, what's the world that we're going to be leaving to our kids? We need more empathy and kindness in our world towards everyone. What happened to George Floyd was murder. It was absolutely vile. Watching the video made me sick to my stomach. I'm so tired of these injustices and a law enforcement system that allows for these types of heinous actions to continue to take place. I'm seeing many brands, leagues, and teams issue statements in the past few days. Some come across as genuine and meaningful, while others ring hollow, and I believe they're just being done for the optics and People are saying, hey, everyone else is putting out statements. We might as well put out statements, too. That's not the right reason to put out statements. Having empathy and kindness and respect towards everyone should be part of the fabric of who you are. If it's not, you're quickly going to be discovered as a fraud, and you can put out all the statements in the world, but they're not going to mean anything. I commend the sports figures who are using their platforms to try to influence positive change. I'm seeing so many athletes and coaches and executives who are lending their voices during this time, and I commend them. I have and will always continue to stand with my friends of color. I'm going to use my platforms to promote empathy and kindness and to condemn racism and acts of brutality or disrespect. If you don't like it, then don't listen to this podcast and don't follow me on Twitter. My heart aches for the family of George Floyd and the many other lives who have been ruined by acts of racism, and I'm tired of seeing these injustices. I lived in Los Angeles 28 years ago, and I watched what happened to Rodney King and the riots that ensued. In many ways, nothing has changed since that injustice took place 28 years ago. Our world needs to change, and we have to be better than this. So I, I wanted to say those things before we get into our show today. Uh, I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, I know you're a dad too. And, you know, I look at our world right now and we have to be better than this. Yeah, I totally agree. And everything you said there is right on. I 100% agree, 100%. And um, I, it just has to change. And it, it's uh, it's so sad. And like you said, it's just we have kids and you're, you're wondering, you're looking tr to the future for them. And you're like, man, if this just doesn't get changed or fixed, it's who knows what the next years are going to be. And it's it's scary and sad. And uh, yeah, well said by you. I totally agree. All right. Let's get into some headlines. Uh, the NBA is expected to announce its plans for play later this week, and it could include a 22 team format which would require a three-fourths majority vote of the 30 teams. The expanded playoff model would be worth several hundred million dollars more than if the league skipped straight to the normal 16-team playoff. Disney World in Orlando is expected to be the site of the NBA's games and housing for the remainder of the 2019-2020 season. 
By the way, Disney pays the NBA $1.4 billion per year as part of their broadcast rights. The season would restart on July 31. And if there was a Game 7 of the NBA Finals, it would take place on October 12th. So you're looking at a July 31 to October 12th season. The 2021 season would start on Christmas Day. So Griggs, this is going to be really interesting. I... I think what the NBA is doing here is right because you've got to put people in a campus environment. I don't think you can mix the athletes and the coaches with people from the outside, mainly sending them back to their homes and, and mingling with their families and living amongst their families. So it's going to be pretty grueling here because let's say, you know, you come back on July 31st. If you got to game seven of the NBA finals, you're away from your family for three months. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this works. But, you know, something, if you're going to restart, you've got to do it in some way, shape or form. And this is probably the safest way to do it. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. The travel, the no traveling, having them all in one spot is going to be key. But a good point you brought up, too, about the athletes being away. I mean, if you go to game seven of the finals, you uh, you're not going to see your family for a while. But, you know, I guess that comes sometimes with the business of being a pro athlete. But I think it's uh, the NBA's. It looks good. I mean, I think they're doing the right thing. I think they're progressing correctly. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it comes out and how weird would it be having the finals in October? Yeah, really interesting. And if college football restarts, and obviously the NFL is going on, you know, now you're going to have the NBA finals competing against football. And, you know, it's going to be great for sports fans. It's going to be interesting to see what that does for NBA viewership and, you know, how that might take a chunk out of college football and NFL viewership. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. And then, you know, we've been talking on the show for a while about impacting two seasons. So obviously with COVID impacting this season and a restart to the season, it's going to impact next year. And this would be the latest start ever for an NBA season, Christmas Day. But would that be the new normal going forward? Would the NBA season start on Christmas Day? And maybe you have a shorter season. Maybe you have a middle of the season tournament. I think the NBA season could look different going forward forever coming out of this, and, and that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, the last headline, I really like this, the National Basketball Coaches Association, that's the NBA coaches, they formed a committee in an effort to combat racial injustice and find solutions for reform. This is according to Sarah Todd of the Desert News. Uh, Doc Rivers, Lloyd Pierce, Monty Williams, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr have been some of the loudest voices that I've heard in the past week. I've loved everything that they've had to say. You know, and I think this starts with Adam Silver supporting this kind of conversation with many of the NBA owners supporting this kind of conversation and the coaches being able to speak freely. I really hope that other coaching associations, whether it's at the college or pro level, follows the lead of the NBA Coaches Association and forms similar committees. Look, we're going to need as many prominent voices discussing this and talking about the injustices in the world and causing reform to ultimately take place as we can. So I love to see things like this, Griggs. Yeah, I totally do. And I think you're right on the key is being candid. The coaches and the people that speak be have to be able to speak their mind, speak clearly and be heard and not be, you know, thrown down for it. So I think being open, 100 percent candid and just uh, out there in the open and talking about it is going to be huge. All right. Coming up next, Carolyn Savini. She is with Nolan Partners. She's also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. What is sports business learning going to look like coming out of this as well? Great conversation with Carolyn coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? 
All CBD MD products are THC free. That was important for me. Third party tested and backed by a 60 day money back guarantee. So there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBD MD's award winning CBD PM drops and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBD MD's revive moisturizing lotion and the CBD MD freeze pain roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBD MD soft shoes. And because the products are all THC free, CBD MD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBD MD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBD MD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to cbdmd.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, cbdmd.com, use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. My guest is Carolyn Savini. You can find her on Twitter at Carolyn Savini. She is a partner and head of North America with Nolan Partners. You can find them online at nolanpartners.com. They're an executive search firm specializing in helping people find jobs in sports and entertainment. She's also an adjunct professor at one of my favorite schools, Georgetown University. Carolyn, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Brian, thanks for having me. Uh, despite the obvious, uh, everybody in my house and inner circle is, is healthy and well. So, so we've got that going. So I'd say I'm doing great. That's good. Yeah. That's the first priority these days. I wanted to have you on because you have such interesting perspectives on a number of different topics, but you know, let's start with your, your everyday job at Nolan Partners. What does the hiring employment landscape look like right now? Because so many things have changed in the last eight to nine weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, I, I don't want to be dark, but it's certainly, it's not great. Um, depending on what level of experience someone has. And as, as we all well know, there has been a lot of furloughs and a lot of layoffs, um, reduction, several reduction in forces. Uh, and I think that for as long as we we don't know exactly when we will see the light at the end of the tunnel with this pandemic, that, that will likely continue. Um, in my business, so my, my firm works at the executive level, uh, basically the department heads as called senior VP level uh, and C-suite. And, and that's okay. So the hiring at that level will continue because in, in most operations, business operations, if somebody leaves a post, you, you, you can't run a business without having a leader of a department or, or somebody in the C-suite. So I'm, um, uh, I kind of answer this question, that question from two different perspectives. Uh, I'm bullish on the, the future for, for me and my business. Uh, I feel pretty good about it. We've, we've, we've had new clients come on board in the pandemic, um, which, which is good. <laughs> That's what you want when you, when you do what I do. But, uh, but there are so many people that are out of work right now and I've been contacted, uh, kind of endlessly every day by folks, a lot, a lot of folks that I know and respect and a lot of folks that I've never met, but I'm happy to meet. It just seems like right now, you know, I've had a number of guests on Sports Business Radio in the last couple of months. No one has golden solutions because none of us have ever been through something like this in our lifetime. But the need for people who are creative and strategic, I think, is high right now because people are looking for answers. Organizations are looking for answers. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, so I, I have a perspective on, on that. And I think some of the people, this, this may come across a slightly unfair statement, uh, especially for some of your listeners that may have been furloughed, but I think some of the people that have been furloughed, um, may have been furloughed or laid off as a result of whatever their function was might not be the future. So um, I'm not the originator of this comment, but but uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 is an accelerator of 
what needs to happen in our business, what was going to happen in our business, maybe not short of a pandemic, maybe not this year, but in the next couple of years. Um, so what what we will see is a lot of changes and upgrades in technology and, and potentially technology analytics replacing people. Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, uh, you, know, you make the comment about the need for creativity and strategy. Um, that's at the top. And, and the creative leaders and the strategic leaders are the ones that are recognizing that if they wanted to make change in changes in their organizations, um, uh, the way they're structured, the, 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 the technology that they're using, the way they're structuring a department, um, they're starting to make those changes now. And, and there's a handful of organizations that have done it, but I think there's a lot more that uh, it's, it's, it's a bit like ripping off the Band-Aid. They, it, they have to make the capital investment. Um, and improvements, and those improvements will be made now. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I've talked to a number of organizations kind of off the record, not on this show, and they've said that, you know, owners of these pro sports teams at least are going to take advantage of this time to reshape their organization and modernize their organization and really, you know, figure out what's the direction we want to head in in the next decade or so. So I think this pause has allowed a lot of organizations to reflect on how they're running things and how they want to run things going forward. Are you hearing that as well? Absolutely. Yes, I've seen it. I've seen it with um, prospective clients and friends in the business and have had a lot of those same conversations. Um, I, I actually predict, uh, I'll be curious on the back end if my prediction is correct, <laughs> I predict somewhere in the neighborhood of a 20 to 30 percent turnover hmm. at the executive level. So so those roles that I reference that I, uh, I get hired to conduct searches for, um, I, I predict a 20 to 30 percent turnover at that level because just to your point, um, you know, owners are are ready to reinvent might not be the right word, but I'll use it anyway, reinvent their businesses and, and how they're going to market. Um, and probably recognizing in some cases that they don't have the right leadership teams to manage through this crisis. Right. I'm seeing that now. So you know that I'm the founder of Sports PR Summit. So I'm, I pay attention to communications more than the average person because, uh, I bring top communicators from the sports world to Sports PR Summit every year. And that's a role right now where I see you know, strategic comms, look at all the messaging that is needed, not only to your partners and sponsors, but also to fans. I mean, how people attend events going forward, there's going to need to be a lot of communication to the fans, to the athletes, the protocols are all going to be different. So I look at that as like a, a hot sector of potential hiring. Are there other sectors that you look at? You mentioned technology and analytics earlier. Is there, are there hot spots kind of like these are the, the jobs that are going to be hot coming out of this? So I'll answer that question, but, but I want to go back to your comment about communications and PR for just a minute because it's uh, not only is it about communicating to fans, but, but how an organization goes back online will directly affect um, the owner and the owner's image within their market. So not only is it communicating to from a, from a PR communications leader, communicating the fan, but um, working very closely with their owner. If, if those that lead PR and communications for their organizations aren't already doing so, they should be now and, and or the owner should be leaning heavily on a PR communications executive to help de- develop the right messaging and strategy for their market um, because God forbid, you know, a, a, a sports team uh, organization opens up their doors to fans at whatever capacity and, uh, and someone gets sick and, and, and dies as a result of the virus. Now they'd have to pinpoint where they had caught that virus, caught the virus um, and to try and, you know, pinpoint it back on attending a sporting event. But there are so many factors that go into play and most owners, I don't think want that that PR risk on their on their heads, on their shoulders, on their soul, you know, right. uh, their conscience. So um, navigating that, and to me, it, it, that comes from it, you know, the lawyers will be involved, <laughs> and others will be involved, but but the the positioning will will should come from PR too. 
So, um, you know, your, your question about where the opportunities will be. So one communications and PR is a, is a role that's getting hired up right now from, from some organizations because they're, those organizations are recognizing that they don't have the right level of talent or, or, or leadership, um, in the role. So we've seen a rise in that. Um, uh, I think just, uh, Business analytics um, analysts; those those roles have been in higher demand um, and increasing headcount with a lot of organizations. Initially, predominantly, it was on kind of the player operations side, but they're also getting built out in um, in the front office of the of the business operations as well. So there will be more opportunities there. Digital digital marketing social media marketing. I mean, that's, that is the, the primary way these organizations have been communicating with their fans, um, pumping out content, content creation. Um, you know, you, you made the comment about creative, uh, creative leadership. Creativity can come from anybody <laughs> and anywhere in the organization. I actually heard an executive say that, um, that one of their best ideas came from like a 22 year old in their organization about how to, uh, how to create some content and what they should be pushing out. And it was one of the most viewed pieces of content that the organization had ever had. And it came from a 22 year old. So it doesn't just have to come from, from executives. Um, and, and so for anybody, whether they're looking for a new job, uh, gainfully employed, but looking for a new job or, or people that are in between jobs, you know, identifying what's on the horizon, what changes they see coming down the pike, and um, and and how an organization can better prepare for that. And everybody has different strengths and and different um, skill sets that they have to offer an organization. So whatever that is, being creative about um, uh, not just how they position themselves, but uh, new ideas, um, new ways of of doing business. Uh, if, if they have one skill set or other ways to connect with consumers and fans while people, certain states continue to remain in lockdown will, will give them a competitive advantage. Jack Dorsey from Twitter came out a couple weeks ago and said if he has employees who want to work from home in the future, they're going to allow that. That's a big topic right now to work from home because that's what we're all doing right now. I think a question for a lot of companies is coming out of this, are they going to continue to allow employees to work from home, part-time, full-time? How do you see that landscape adjusting? I know in sports and entertainment, you really do need to kind of be on site at the venue or in the offices. There could be a certain amount of work from home, but do you see like mass overhaul there? Or do you think when we find a vaccine and, and things are back to normal, whatever that normal looks like, people will be working in office spaces again. Yeah. So um, I, I've had a lot of conversations with executives about this very topic and the initial response is a lot of us are being more productive from home. Um, it depends on someone's personal situation. If, if you've got young kids like I do that burst to the door, you know, <laughs> uh, every, every hour on the hour, it can be a little distracting. So some people are looking forward to going back to the office maybe because of that. Um, uh, some people might be looking forward to going back to the office be just for the social aspect, but a lot of people are very comfortable and more productive working from home. So I think there will be a blend. Um, Initially, definitely initially because there has to be, but then um, as we ease into being able to have more people in an office space, um, I, I think many organizations that might have been more old school and um, there's probably a lot of your listeners that have worked for old school leaders or owners that have felt if you're if I can't see you, then I assume you're not working and you're not getting anything done. Uh, I feel like the world has been able to prove what we can achieve when we're working from home. Um, but there will probably be some move uh, and push from HR and executive leadership to allow for those who want a day or two to work from home and maybe even some positions that can be completely remote. And if, if the job is in New York or, um, or LA or more expensive markets for cost of living or markets where the commute might take an hour, an hour and a half or even two hours door to door. There will probably be a lot of relaxed rules with regard to uh, remote working, as in you don't even have to work in this market to to employ you. And hmm. for an organization that's looking to to save some money, 
Um, allowing somebody to be based in Oklahoma City is a lot less expensive. What, what you pay somebody in Oklahoma City is not the same thing you'd pay them to do the same job in New York City. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I talk about digital footprints all the time. And I have a company called Everything is on the Record, and we talk about you know everything that you post online, whether it's on social media, LinkedIn, texts, emails. It's all fair game for people to look at when they're trying to form an opinion about you or potentially hire you for a job. As someone who does this for a living, how much are you looking at candidates' digital footprints when you're you know, trying to place them in a job somewhere to, to get that feeling of, you know, here's what they look like digitally and, and get a sense of who they are. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely part of the vetting process. It depends on the, the role, the job function. Um, uh, would I care more about that for, for certain people versus others? Yes. Cause some, some people actually don't have much of a digital footprint. Um, but the short answer is yes, that's part of the vetting process. Yeah. I just, you know, I always tell, and I know you're hiring for senior jobs and, and like you said, C-level and senior vice president and above, but for the young people out there who are listening, I can say that I've turned down interns and people who have wanted to work for me because I find out who they are. I do the vetting process and, and the first place I look is digitally. And if their social media is inappropriate, I always tell them, you're connected to me now. Your brand is connected to me. So if someone says, hey, Brian, why is your intern you know, on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever with those kind of questionable pictures or actions or what they're saying. Now that reflects poorly on me and my judgment. So, you know, that's just a quick sidebar to anyone listening to this who's out there, you know, in the workforce. I have a teenage daughter and I tell her all the time, like what you're doing on social media right now is going to be viewed by people who may want to let you into a college or put you on a sports team or hire you one day. I just think it's really important that people pay attention to that. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can't hide from it. Um, and and even if if someone's able to delete it, a lot of people don't forget. <laughs> right, or they screenshot it, and and it's yeah. there forever. So exactly. Yeah, there's no big eraser that erases your your mistakes on the internet. Unfortunately, I've had so many people come to me. Hey, can you have this deleted from the internet? Uh, no. <laughs> if, if someone got a screenshot of it, you're, you're out of luck. So, yeah, um, yeah. you also write for Sports Business Journal on occasion and you wrote a really interesting article recently in Sports Business Journal, kind of looking at what the skill set might look like for the modern pro sports commissioner. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because I thought that was really interesting. We're talking about leadership now. We're talking about moving into the post-COVID world. What's that role going to look like? Because a few of those jobs, those contracts are, are coming up in the next five years. Yeah. I, honestly, it, um, I, it goes back to a point I uh, made earlier that the owners, um, owners are – probably more involved in their sports property today than they ever were. Some, some more than others. Some are, are managing partners, operating owners. Um, but, uh, others had, you know, day jobs, their own businesses and, and delegate the, uh, the executive leadership and management to CEOs and whomever. Um, today, so I penned that article probably early to mid February, I think, um, before, before we knew that a pandemic was going to rain down upon us. Um, and I, I actually feel that my, my comments in that article hold, hold more true now than, than they did even when I wrote it because, yeah. um, uh, we talked about PR and, and perception of the owner and their franchise in a market. Um, at the end of the day, I, 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 believe and there might be some exceptions so some some of your listeners may take exception to this but um the majority of a professional professional sports team owners they they invest in the asset for it to appreciate not for it to depreciate and they want to make money um many don't don't get into it in order to lose money we people will debate that and we can make an argument on another topic another day um about um you know the owners that lose money on their franchises, but 
uh, point being, I wrote that article because oh, the franchise value is predominantly dictated by the um, the media deal that the the leagues get or local local market uh, regional sports net um, media value, and um, and as the 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 streaming services OTT content distribution continues to get carved up. I personally believe that the um, you know the 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 two billion dollar valuation franchise sale of the the LA Dodgers back in 2011 or 12 or whenever that happened, um, and to me that was the that was the landmark deal. Um, that was the first. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was the first billion dollar sale of the franchise, and it was predicated on the uh, the media rights deal that they did with um, the uh, the LARSN. So um, I I just think that as these these uh, the media rights start to get carved up, a commissioner who recognizes that understands how to maximize the value of the media rights for really for the franchise and for the owners should be something that owners look at as they consider who, what, who is the best next commissioner for our league and what is the right profile of that commissioner? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I think that's going to be really important. And that landscape, as you pointed out with OTT and, you know, look, recently HBO Max launched, you've got HBO, you've got Apple Plus, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Apple. I mean, it's it's crazy, all the streaming services that are out there now, and they're all going to become players in sports content going forward. It's not just going to be the TV networks. You're going to have TV deals and broadcast deals, but you're also going to have streaming deals too. So I agree with you, and I look at someone like Adam Silver, who came from NBA Entertainment, and who really knows that landscape well, he's an ideal modern commissioner because he knows what's going on there. I I think I told you in a private conversation, I'm a big fan of Marianne Turk, who is the COO of the NFL, and she comes from Bell Media and, and has that kind of a background. I think she would be an outstanding commissioner one day because she understands all of that landscape as well and is very you know, modern and forward thinking. So I think there's some good candidates out there, but uh, it's going to be interesting to watch that landscape in the next five years. And I enjoyed reading that, that article that you wrote for Sports Business Journal. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. So, all right, let's talk about your role as an adjunct at Georgetown. Uh, I've also told you I love Georgetown. My daughter and I got to go there last year and walk around campus and everything. It's just a beautiful school, so you're you're lucky that you get to teach there. But one of the things that we've been thinking about is, all right, you can't teach the same way going forward. Either A, we're seeing virtual learning right now, or B, there's got to be post-COVID learnings going forward. You can't say, all right, everything we've taught for the last 20 years is still relevant going forward. Some of that will work and apply, but the landscape is going to change pretty drastically going forward. So what does the sports management program landscape look like going forward? Mm, mm. So um, it's funny I, I think you and I were talking about this in the, the the call we had not too long ago. That I remember watching the uh, the 
Democratic candidate debates uh, back in February. And um, I remember one of the uh, one of the candidates commenting on how she actually said the uh, America doesn't need another sports management graduate. We need more people. She called it out specifically. And I just died laughing there. There are a ton of sports management programs out there, undergrad and graduate. And um, and the comment has been made by uh, folks in higher ed. And this, I'm sure remains to be true that in economic downturns like we're in right now, there's there's usually an uptick of of graduate students um, and pursuit of of higher ed degrees. So on one hand, there there may be better opportunity, but only for the organ the, the programs that are equipped to manage on, an online student population. Uh, because I think a lot of institutions, until there's a vaccine, will not have students return to campus. There are some that may, but uh, but my prediction is that a majority of uh, college campuses will not have students on campus until everybody has their their, their rubber stamp for having received the vaccine. Um, so my time at Georgetown, uh, I started there in 2011 and uh, initially started on campus, and then I think in 2016 or so, um, Georgetown launched an online program, um, uh, online master's degree. Uh, so I teach in the, the sport industry management program as a graduate program. Um, and, and so at that time, I would teach both online and on campus. And, and then about a year ago, um, I moved the, the course that I teach completely online just because of the nature of the course. It just made more sense. Um, so because Georgetown employs the hybrid model, those that are already teaching online, it was a very easy transition. And frankly, there was really no change. I just kept doing what I was doing and teaching and how I teach. Um, so I was very fortunate with regard to that. But um, a lot of a lot of programs aren't equipped that way. So I think there was a mad rush for many programs to figure out how to get all of their content, course content, um, and, and, and deliverables, um, to the students online. Though I will say that in higher ed, uh, cause I was an adjunct at, at Temple University and their sport tourism hospitality management program for the calendar year of 2018. And, um, there's, there's a, system that they use. It was Blackboard. Now a lot of schools I think are on campus. That's what Temple used and Georgetown uses. Um, and it's it's a portal that makes um, online uh, teaching and learning easier. So the 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 technology savvy campuses, universities will will be able to make the transition. But I going back to your original question, uh, I think there will be a, a a culling of the herd for sport management programs because we're seeing it across the nation with uh, budget cro- budget cuts for state universities and pr- frankly probably private universities too, like massive budget cuts. And um, and I, I have to think that. There will be a lot of slashing of programs if if there's if there's not a, a good student population there to support yeah. the, the program itself. So how does that impact the the sports hiring landscape? I've always wondered, you know, because again, privately, I've talked to people who are senior executives at sports teams, and and you know, it goes both ways. Some of them say, "Hey, hiring someone out of a sports management program is great. I'm getting a high quality person." Others have said, "Ah." Feels a little gimmicky. Um, you know, they, they want high ranking jobs as soon as they come out as MBA students. And, and, you know, we see them coming in at more of an enter to mid level position versus a senior position. How do people, how do your clients look at candidates who are coming out of sport management programs? And I know it's not one size fits all, but in general, how do they see those programs? Yeah, so it, it depends. Um, so to be fair, I, I have to share my own, my own pedigree and education. So I, uh, I went through Ohio University's, um, uh, sports ad program, uh, MBA and master's in sports administration. And, um, and I specifically chose that program because it was once described to me and I still believe it to remain true that the, the Harvard of sports administration, in part because the, it, it's the oldest or, um, UMass, I know you go kind of back and forth, but the, one of the original sport management programs, um, master's programs and, um, and therefore the alumni network is so deep. So it, 
to a certain degree, it'd be no different than why would somebody go get an MBA from Harvard or, or Wharton or name another top, top five, top 10 um, business school. It's, it's because employers know if you want great talent with a, a business acumen, um, that's where you go. That's where you recruit from. And, um, and the students know that by getting that degree on my resume, I should come out with a built-in network. And, um, and so for me personally, when, when people ask me, should I, should I get my master's in sports administration? Um, it depends. It depends on what their experience is. I, I knew it was the right choice for me when I was um, making the decision to go to grad school because I knew I wanted to pursue a career. Actually, at the time it was, I wanted a career in college athletics. And, um, and that's where there were more college ADs with um, OU sports ad uh, master's degrees on the resume than any other school. So the network was so tight knit that if I wanted to work in college athletics, I could, that was the, the program to go to. Um, it's, it's different for everybody. So I, I wouldn't recommend everyone pursue a, a master's degree. I think going back to the calling of the herd comment I made, um, we'll see a lot, a lot of programs not make it through and, um, and anyone that's considering going through a program, you'd have to choose the, the one that's best for you and ask the why and do I think that this degree will actually return for me, whatever it costs, whatever the program costs. And many of them don't. So you asked me, um, how much does an employer care about the, the, the master's degree? Many of them don't. Um, it's, it's either, is it a pedigree institution? Um, and to me, pedigree schools are, uh, top 10, uh, or not. And, um, but even then, it, it, at the end of the day, it's all about the skills and the experience that the person has and the personality, uh, the character that they have. It's why somebody gets hired. Yeah, I agree. And I'll just share really quickly. Uh, so I interned for the Portland Trailblazers and I looked at my internship as my master's and I ended up getting a full-time job with the Blazers. But by being inside the organization as an intern, I saw all the opportunities that were available. I learned the culture. I saw where the need was and the voids were and I found one of them and, and I got hired. So to me, that had as much value as any master's program that I would have attended. And I'm not saying master's programs are, are bad. I'm just saying my personal experience, it helped me more being inside an organization as an intern, learning the people who were hiring, learning where the voids were versus, you know, sitting in a classroom or taking a class online and, and you know, getting that master's degree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, also part of the reason why I chose the OU program when, when I was looking at schools, because the internship component was one of the, the biggest aspects, most significant aspects of the education. Um, and, and it's, and it's hard to get the internships, especially now. There's so many students, uh, right. that are looking for internships in sports, whether they have a, they're in a sports management program, undergrad or graduate or just general, um, you know, any other program within an institution. Um, I actually, I, I lecture on this a lot, uh, to two students that the, the numbers continue to rise. The opportunities are few and farther between. So you, you have to distinguish yourself in order to get your foot in the door, get the internship opportunity because most employers aren't going to hire you unless you've had some experience in and around at a young, at a younger age. Now professional call it, you know, 10 years into your, um, professional experience, whatever again, experience skills that you have to offer is, is how you could get your foot in the door. But, but young people, the, the, the 20, 22, 24 year olds, it, it usually comes on the back of an internship. Right. Before I let you go, I want to talk about the, uh, collegiate sports landscape for a moment. You're a former D1 collegiate athlete. You were an All-American. Um, we've seen schools like University of Akron say they're going to eliminate sports as part of budget cuts. So what this does is obviously, you know, people, there's less opportunity to play sports. There are less jobs around sports. I look at the cancellation of March Madness this year. Who knows what's going to happen with the college football season, but those are the two biggest revenue generators for the NCAA when they're paying out to member schools for sports like swimming and lacrosse and water polo and soccer and, and things like that. What do you see the sports 
landscape looking like in college going forward? Mm, better for women than men. Um, I, I actually, uh, I feel sorry for, um, the heads of USA Wrestling and USA Gymnastics, um, and some other Olympic sports that field men's teams. Um, because with the cuts, it will likely be the, um, the Olympic men's sports that will get cut. Most schools probably won't cut men's basketball. Um, they may cut football it, depending on how, um, depending on how competitive their football program is or has been. Um, the, that's, there's always an argument to be made around that, but because of Title IX, they're, there could be more women's sports to pop up in the coming years as a result of the cutting of men's sports and making sure that there's parity with the numbers. Actually, it will, what it'll probably do, just cutting men's sports, is it will get us to that 50-50 number that Title IX was intended to force us into that 40-plus years later. <laughs> I, I don't think it's happened yet. That's interesting. You know, again, selfishly, I have a high school athlete in my house. And if you're saying there's going to be equal or more opportunities for girls going forward at the college level, that gives me a lot of hope for her. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, there certainly has been. I mean, that's, um, and I will tell you, like I, you said it, I, I was a college athlete, all American. I wanted to work in college athletics. Um, I wouldn't be working in the sports industry if, if it weren't for the 17 years that I spent as, um, as a swimmer. Um, I, it's, it's what it, sports is what exposed me to, um, so many different opportunities that I've had in my life and recognizing that a desire to have a profession in the industry and frankly stumbled into executive search. And um, it suited me well. But um, as this leads to another question um, or uh, comment, um, opportunities for women in sports business comes on the heels of having more women play sports, be active, appreciate what sports does for the, the, you know, the whole self, the human being. And, um, and I, I hate to say it, but I think in, in probably five, 10, 20 years time, we'll look back on coronavirus being an accelerant for, um, for finally getting to where we need to be with more women in, in business and sports at top level. Yeah. It's, it's long overdue. What was the stat I saw recently? Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I saw a stat that said like 75 or 80% of women who were in the C-suite played sports at one point in their career. And I just thought, isn't that great? Like they, they learn leadership skills and confidence. And I see again, what it's doing for my daughter firsthand, but I thought that's a really common thread that, that I'm seeing, you know, if this stat is in fact true. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I didn't see it, but that sounds about right. I, I believe it, frankly. Um, I, uh, yeah, like you think about, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but I'll say it anyway. Um, a lot of men watch sports on TV and they enjoy it and they try to play, but maybe they're not good, but they still watch it on TV and they, um, uh, they're connected to sports that way. And so then working in sports may seem cool. And perhaps that's how some people get exposed to sports business. Um, women maybe historically, maybe less so just by watching it on TV, although there are plenty of sports fans that didn't actually play sports or were competitive themselves in sports that are, that are women that might have found themselves to, to sports business. But I, I, not having seen the stat or, or seen the numbers myself, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something in the neighborhood of 70 to 80% yeah. that, uh, of women in business that played themselves. Yeah. All right, before I let you go, um, there are a lot of people listening to this that have been furloughed or laid off or, you know, on the flip side, those who just want a job in sports and entertainment. Are there some general helpful tips that you can give to people who find themselves in those scenarios right now? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one because I, I go back to it all depends on what someone's experience is. Um, but to, to give you a generic answer, um, for anyone that, that has been furloughed, laid off and, uh, is trying to get back in, trying to find a job, 
Um, one thing I'd say is don't limit yourself to sports because there, there's, if you don't limit yourself to sports, there's a lot more opportunities out there for you. The other thing I'd say is, uh, be very specific and thoughtful about your skills and expertise and what it is that you have to offer because that can, um, can transcend different organizations, possibly different departments, um, your skill sets and, and being able to thoughtfully articulate what you have to offer an organization, um, is, is usually what will differentiate someone from getting a job and not getting a job. But, but first learn, seek to understand what, what, Issues does that organization need you to solve? What problems does the organization need you to solve? Do they need somebody with those skill sets or not? And then the last thing, because I'm big on this, I always tell people when they ask me, be an authentic networker. Like, don't just link in with me because you found me randomly or you saw me online somewhere. Be an authentic networker. And I tell people, if you come with solutions or you come with, you know, conversation starters, that's what's going to get you noticed, not just, oh, we're, we're friends on LinkedIn or we found each other on Twitter. Do you agree with that too? Because I, that, if someone just randomly links in with me, I'm always wondering like, all right, what are they looking for here? <laughs> or what's the, what's the agenda? What's the angle? And I think if there's a way to authentically network, then you stand out a little bit more. Yeah, no, completely agree. I, um, I do accept LinkedIn requests that, uh, where people don't have a direct message to me that I might not already know, but I, um, but not always. Um, I, I look at like, who else is this person connected to that I'm connected to? Do I actually want to be connected to them? Um, cause, uh, on many occasions I will reject, uh, connection requests because, I, to me, it's opening my network up to whoever's exactly. connecting with me. Yeah. And yeah, authenticity is, is, is critical. Carolyn Savini, you can find her on Twitter at Carolyn Savini. She is the partner and head of North America for Nolan Partners. You can find them online at nolanpartners.com, a great executive search firm in sports and entertainment. She's an adjunct at Georgetown University. Watch for her columnists or her columns sometimes in uh, Sports Business Journal. She's written some good ones there. Carolyn, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Uh, Great to talk to you and continue to stay safe. Thanks, Brian. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.